O'Hare. And this is the Reclaiming the Garden podcast. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, mental health uh, in our usual way. We're going to talk about what we heard about it in church growing up, uh, how the, our views kind of shifted, what we think now. Um, and with that, obviously, there's going to be a content warning mm-hmm. um, related to talking about depression, uh, suicidal ideation, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so please take care of yourself if that's not something you want to be hearing right now. Yeah, absolutely. If you need to turn it off at this point, we completely understand. We'll catch you in the next one. Um, but other than that, uh, this is an episode that ironically I'm pretty excited for. Um <laughs> Because again, it's unfortunate, but mental health isn't talked about a lot in church spaces. So I'm excited to be able to chat with it. But before we get into that conversation, um, today is May 3rd and we are recording the morning after uh, the Roe v. Wade Politico leak has happened. Um, So there are a lot of people out there right now uh, very terrified for their reproductive rights. Um, I would ask you what your feelings are on this April, but I feel like we have... (laughs) the exact same feelings i feel like a lot of our listeners yeah. has the same feelings yes. about a lot of um, this yeah here on reclaiming the garden we we are pro-choice because mm-hmm. we believe that um making abortion illegal will just make safe or unsafe abortions much more prevalent yeah and it will not actually fix any of the issues that that cause many women to have abortions in the first place like you know we need to like lift people out of poverty or sorry when i said women i meant people People who have yeah, of course, and have babies. Sorry, um, uh, you know, we need to lift people out of poverty. Um, we need to uh, have pro- comprehensive sex education and access to birth control, yeah. which are all these things that these people who say they're pro-life are like absolutely against. And it's like, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? You want these babies to come out of these women or these people's bodies, and then, like, then you're not going to take care of them. Then you don't give a fuck. Like. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's just like, there are, I I understand not being a fan of abortion. I'm not a fan of it either. I think it's safe to say a lot of people aren't a fan of it as much as they are a fan of like chemotherapy, like another medical procedure. But at the same time, like it, it is that it is a medical procedure, like no other medical procedures, as far as I know, are like actively being outlawed right now. Like there's a reason why this has to stay legal and accessible. And just like you said, there are ways to reduce abortion, but it seems like no lawmakers seem to want to actually like follow through with those, just let it be swiping legislation of like. it's Yeah. So it's about controlling women's bodies because like they, the reason they wouldn't want to make like a uh, birth control accessible is then, you know, like evangelical pastors are be like, they're going to just go having sex all over the place. Like it's so yeah. stupid. Like, ugh. Yeah, I remember I watched a documentary years ago, and for people that are familiar with this, please correct us if we're wrong on any of the small details, but it was on, like, the Soviet Union slash communist-controlled Eastern Europe, and it was going over specifically Romania under the dictatorship of Nicolae Ceausescu, Um, and abortion was made illegal in that country because more for the secular reason of like, let's raise a bunch of really strong strapping Romanian children to take over the capitalist West. Um, So abortion was made entirely illegal, but of course people still kept having abortions. They were just done very unsafe and very illegally. And the numbers are in like the tens of thousands of women that died, but they're not even entirely sure because it was illegal. And like, that is what happens when you make abortion illegal is it's not going to stop uh, people from having abortions. It's just going to make it remarkably unsafe. Like there's going to be so much more 
blood on the hands of politicians. That's that's really that's yeah. really I think all there is to say on the subject. We hope that you know we we are we want to be in the fight. Um, you know, I, I saw that there are people that are standing outside the Supreme Court, like mm -hmm. good on them. We need to, we need to be loud and we need to fight for. Yeah. Right, so. And let it also be known. I think uh, it's either 70 or 80 percent, regardless, a massive majority of the country does not want Roe v. Wade overturned, mm -hmm. like a massive majority. So, I mean, it seems dire. It seems hopeless, but we got to do what we got to do. Go protest if you're in an area where you are able to and if you feel safe enough to do so um if you are able to donate money donate to planned parenthood donate to other um, abortion access funds um know your rights in where whatever state you reside and know the closest safe state that you can get to um and as someone who is very fortunate to live in a safe in a safe state um like hopefully we have coalitions to get people safely across state lines mm -hmm. to be able to get those abortions. Um, so it's, I think we just really, as per usual, we just have to stick together on this. And of course, vote. I know it's like silly to say it so many <laughs> times, but like vote out the politicians that wouldn't want this codified into law, vote out the judges that are going to rule on this. Like if they're going to make it a state's rights thing, at least let it be very, very, very difficult for them. So that's kind of my, um, was it my um, soapbox? Yes, <laughs> I guess <laughs> that I wanted to share because it is dire. It feels very dire. I I know that so many people I know have been feeling so anxious all day, and I've been feeling very anxious about it too. But it's mm -hmm. that I it's okay to be sad. It's okay to wallow, and that's something that we'll talk about in today's episode. Um, but also, there is there are things that can be done, even if they seem small. So getting into our main topic for today, yes. um, what did you sort of hear messages did you get from the church growing up about related to like mental health and like caring for your mental health, that kind of thing? Uh, happy is the best emotion um, and everything else is a lie from the devil. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be sad. Yeah. Jesus has risen. It's like I'm not sad about that anything. Don't be angry. Like, I think people take the verse from James of, like, be slow to speak and slow to become angry as, like, and like don't to, be don't, angry don't at all. go down on your anger to that kind of thing. Yeah. Or, like, there's, I know that the saying in a lot of fundy circles is keep it sweet, especially for women. Hmm. Um, so it's, like, keep, gross. isn't that nasty? <laughs> it sounds so gross. Keep it sweet. Like, it's this, this is a gross saying. And, again, I think it's a lot more... Uh, I think it demonizes people who are socialized as women a lot more than people socialized as men um, mm -hmm. because well, obviously, yeah, of course, so many seen things seem to be in the church. Um, but that's kind of what I was taught. I was taught that like, if I was sad, if I was anxious, I wasn't praying enough or I had didn't have faith in God or you weren't reading your Bible enough. <laughs> that was another one to read your Bible more um church like all these expectations for you know what the good christian's supposed to do like you need to do the all these things in order to not be sad yeah or <laughs> something happened to you like like for example like if you lost your wallet or something like god was punishing you for whatever reason 
and like oh he, yeah the whole thing that like tests and trials in this life are like from god for the perfection of our faith which is just like so fucked up no it's like you didn't lose your wallet because god's mad at you you lost your wallet because you literally cannot remember where you put anything in your life like that is the reason why but yeah that's really what i was taught and then i think a lot of times certain deeper emotions that eventually led to mental illness was like oh you're not depressed you just are sad you just have the blues and it's like the blues are not this debilitating though mm-hmm. like it's yeah They're not like this just like long term right like they don't <laughs> yeah yeah that's kind of pretty much what I was taught like in terms of like emotions and in terms like there were bad emotions and most emotions were bad like the only good ones were anything that is an offshoot of joy um or peace or peace yeah <laughs> yeah like peace as in oh yeah instead of that's a whole other thing it's like don't don't be anxious just have peace have the lord's peace and like you'll be good you'll be calm in the lord's peace that kind of thing yeah and it's peace that's more like ignorance i guess or blissful ignorance where it's like mm-hmm. i just like you know i'm just gonna avoid everything avoid all my problems and just peace it's like, that's not how any of this works. I wish it was, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me, is this, oh my gosh, if I'm gonna screw this up, probably, isn't there like a Martin Luther King quote or a quote from someone that's talking about like how peace is not the, the absence of, um, the absence of conflict. I'm yes, look it up right now. Up. I don't want to yeah. fuck up a Martin Luther King quote or a quote from anyone. So, ooh. It's a Ronald Reagan quote. Oh, fuck me. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, I guess I can still say it. Peace is not absence of conflict. It is the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. Wait, okay, that's not what I'm thinking of, though. It's something like... um... Oh, oh, there's a Martin Luther King Jr. quote, too. Uh, (laughs) That was definitely not... The Ronald Reagan was not what I was thinking of. I love how both of us were like, ew... Reagan. <laughs> Gross. Uh, Martin Luther King said, true peace is not merely the absence of tension, it is the presence of justice. Yeah, so is like, okay. yeah, so yeah, it's like kind of similar, I think, because you're just, you're trying to like avoid the tensions in your life, you're trying to avoid these things instead of actually trying to like bring those things to restoration in your mm-hmm. life, you know? Yeah, like, it's like, it's very... It puts you in the state where it's just like you're not really addressing any of the issues. You're just like, I mean, the the image that I use in my memoir is like I'm just putting a band aid over a gushing wound. <laughs> like, yeah, not doing anything. Yeah, um, I think Taylor Swift says a similar thing in a song, which is like band aids don't fix bullet wounds or something. Like mm-hmm. it's a very similar notion. It's just, yeah. or it's like that. Or it's like that. There's this meme of like the guy putting like the flex tape on like this big. It's like a big like vat of water and it's like gushing out of a hole and a guy puts like flex tape oh. on it and it stops it. Um, yeah. And it's always like big, awful, terrible thing that would take a lot to fix it. And then like the fix is very simple, like just yeah. pray more or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I wanted to share um, this memory that I have. So mm-hmm. um, I guess in middle school and in high school, my mom, because yeah, my mom would um, drive me home from youth group on Wednesday nights uh and I mean up all the way through high school because I didn't get my license until I was a senior because I hate driving but Mm. anyway um 
she often at that time would um i it must have been like listening to the focus on the family radio channel i guess because um usually when i got in the car it would be just near the end of an episode of uh adventures in odyssey or whatever it's called oh, okay um and then it would usually go on to some kind of like talk show thing or whatever some kind of talking um bit and um i i just have this like pretty clear memory of this one time where this guy was talking about his experience with like mental health but except like not in a good way i want to make that clear right now mm-hmm. um he was like he was like oh you know one day i realized i was like oh i don't i don't need i don't need pills i just need like jesus that was, oh. i mean that's definitely like very paraphrased but that was the sentiment mm-hmm. that i was, he was sort of saying he's like no you don't need this like um and you know i'm just i'm there it must uh, it must have been when i was in middle school when this happened because i was i was like depressed at the time that i was <laughs> hearing this and i was just like thinking and um i already like didn't have a good view of like therapists just because i had some like trust issues with adults and had read a few books where like therapists were not good characters <laughs> so yeah it's just like added on to that as like something you know a reason not to seek any professional help um and I also thought that, like, you know, my mom didn't react to what the guy was saying at all. Maybe it's just because it was late at night and she was not paying, paying full attention. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, like, another part of it. And, um, yeah, I mean, definitely, I think there was just, there wasn't a lot, like, a lot of discussion, deep discussion, you know, about mental health in no. my church youth group at all, you know. And, like, um, I definitely knew, I knew students who were depressed some of them who are actually you know experienced um suicidal ideation and so I actually remember at camp one of my friends talked about how she was like oh yeah like the counselors need to like kind of be watching me at all times because she was in that kind of state yeah um um but otherwise yeah there wasn't really any presence of talking about those issues or being able to like have deep discussions about it because yeah it was just like the way that you you deal with those things is like through through prayer and bible study and maybe some like pastoral counseling you know or christian counseling maybe yeah. um which i ever like the stories about christian counseling um <laughs> yeah i think like and honestly though because i even try and think about like secular settings that i was in like when i was in public school it was like that wasn't really talked about either like thankfully it was a little bit in oh, my good. Health classes yeah in my health classes we had some discussion um you know about and I think what was interesting for me is that they always talked about the signs to look out for if your friend is struggling with mental health issues and I was just thinking to myself I was like I don't exhibit any of those and I'm depressed as hell <laughs> like you know it's like oh for me I think it was the opposite like where I think I definitely <laughs> I get, there was definitely a lot of anxiety there and it didn't, but I think I had learned like a lot of the extremes of anxiety. Like you're always having panic attacks. Cause I did have a friend that would have panic attacks and it was just like not entirely being sure what to do at the time. And now as someone who's had quite a few, like I get it now, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but it was like, I like, I was like, I'm not having panic attacks. I'm not like hyperventilating into a paper bag all the time. Like it was like, like my brain was like, I'm not at these extreme levels. Like I'm not anxious at all. But then I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was constantly anxious, like all the time. Like I should have gotten help 
so much sooner than I did. I just didn't know like the, I only knew the extremes and not the actual signs. Like even with depression, like the only real signs were the extreme, like other than a literal rain cloud over someone's head, which I think was much more of a cartoon uh, description. Mm-hmm. It was like someone's really mopey and they don't want to do anything. And it was very much yeah, like well, tied to I mean, emo culture. What's yeah. interesting, when I say like signs to look out for, it wasn't really about like internal behaviors or, well, I mean, they talked about that too, but I'm specifically saying like, it, I always thought it was interesting how they like focused a lot on like, here's what you need to look for in your friends, like this, these external signs. Yeah. And so like, and I, and I was just thinking about how like I had, and I, yeah, I mean, I had learned to like just hide it, and I do think that like my my church upbringing had some stuff like had something to deal with that because of this like expectation that you were supposed to just be like getting better and growing in the Lord or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted to just look like everything was fine, even though like multiple factors in my life in middle school were just like uh, unstable. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was getting was getting bullied and like my math class was really hard. Now those things sound like kind of trivial now, but you know, when you're in school, everything fucking sucks. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like I think a couple of times cuz I'd always like lose things as we were talking about like losing a wallet. Like I would lose like things like homework. Like I'd lose certain stuff and it's like stuff that I would have totally done, but then like I would just completely like start just I'd break down, I'd hyperventilate. Um, while crying so it was but I didn't realize that that was maybe an anxiety symptom for some reason because I'd always done that um and like with and again obviously for small things that now are such a blip in the grand scheme of things but it definitely became more of a pattern as the problems quote-unquote grew like as did the anxious the anxiety symptoms because I mean yeah what it sounds like is neither of us really I mean on my end I didn't really um try to like get better at like the way that I was dealing with mental health until college until like my deconstruction because that's when I actually learned how to like actually do emotional processing because obviously I think well yeah this is this will be interesting to talk about I mean our repression of our queer identities like mm-hmm. fucked up our brains oh <laughs> I mean, my like... god it's exhausting <laughs> first of all <laughs> and I think like a little bit different than you I feel like my I started to really I think by my senior year of college, I realized I had some sort of depression, some some sort of anxiety, but it wasn't like diagnosed. I wasn't getting care for it, but I did start going to therapy like a couple of weeks after I graduated from college. So it, I think I was starting to become more aware of it. And I think that really helped as more people like would talk about symptoms and more, it wasn't just like the symptoms in a textbook, but people would talk about their symptoms. And like, I was able to relate to a lot of it and be like, okay, like it's not normal to be constantly on edge or healthy, not, not nor- mm. normal. not the word I'm looking for, but healthy. It's not healthy to constantly like be thinking about my own death. It is not healthy for any of this. Like this is not healthy slash. It's not what a healthy brain does. And I think from that, it was like, Ooh, maybe I need to get some help like mm-hmm. at that point. So that was when I really, it took post-college well into my adulthood, but I was able to eventually get the help I needed. Um, yeah, I think, like, my issues with emotional processing that I think stemmed from my repression of my queer identity, because, like, I, I basically just, I think I've said this maybe in other episodes, but I think I basically just learned to, like, 
repress my feelings for girls to the point where like I was just doing that with other emotions too I was disassociating yeah, from like my depression and my anxiety I was just like mm-hmm. no these don't exist um and so of course and that just like that doesn't make it actually go away like it stays like in your body and it stays like in yeah. your conscious and everything and so oh my like, gosh just, of course yeah I mean it and that's how it, like of course things ended up coming to like such a boiling point when I was in my first semester of college it was like I I couldn't hold it or push it down anymore. Um, yeah. And um, I think a part of it too is, of course, like that I was usually just blaming my thyroid for everything. <laughs> I mean, I think it, I think um, I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism mm-hmm. uh, when I was in eighth grade, and I remember I remember starting to do some research around it, and I was like, oh, there's like a connection between depression and um, thyroid disease. This particular form of thyroid disease and so mm-hmm. I was like oh maybe I'm not just like crazy but I was like oh this is like this is a medical reason and so that gave me some hope and like that did give me some hope and it was able to like help me with some of my emotional stability but like I think as I was getting into college I it was like I was using I was using it as like an excuse to not really examine anything further you yeah. know so I think like yeah um I mean, because at, at this, I mean, we'll get into this later, but I definitely realized that I needed not just thyroid medication, I needed other medications, so. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and um, I feel like I lost the train of thought I was going for with that, but. Um, oh, good. Um, yeah, so I guess we were kind of, yeah, talking about the shift and everything, and um, for me, I guess when something, I'm not going to go into the details, but there was a big conflict with another student on campus that I had at the end of my freshman year. And I was just like one of the, another one's moments where I was like at a boiling point with my emotions. And so I was finally like, I'm going to schedule an appointment with um, the counseling office on campus. Um, And so I did that. And that was the first time that I, yeah, I guess first time I technically saw a therapist. it was only one time because of course, like it was close to finals. And so she was like, I'm all booked up during finals weekend. So I was like, well, Uh, (laughs) shit. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, and then I, yeah, again, I didn't really try it again. Cause I think part of, I think once I was like, I had gotten over the fear of the idea of seeing a therapist, I think, but then I was like, Oh, but like with the insurance and the payment, like, I don't know if I need to, I don't know if it's a priority for me right now. (laughs) It should have been, but, (laughs) um, um, and, uh, when I was in Paris, I also saw a, a psychologist a few times because of my, that was where, when my anxiety came to a boiling point, where it was like depression came to boiling point at other points. It was like, I was having panic attacks like multiple times a week. Uh, oh I, I look back at my Paris experience, like that it was good and it like, definitely like I grew so much, but like the first ones was rough and I was having panic attacks about my assignments and like about like not really feeling like I had a friend group there and all of the kinds of th- I mean also of course just living abroad you know yeah of course country. it's like a lot of stuff in one <laughs> go and I think that can really exacerbate those um symptoms yeah I know for me especially in college like university specifically um it was that thing of one going through a massive identity crisis but also <laughs> like I wasn't doing as well in school as I thought I was going to be doing. I didn't really feel like I didn't have a whole lot of friends. This was supposed to be like 
the time of my life or like the the years of my youth and it was just like I have very few friends I don't get invited to parties I am not like as a theater as a theater major I'm not getting cast in any shows because people don't know me well enough Mm. but I'm trying to put myself out there but no one seems to want it it was like everything all at once and then from there Mm -hmm. like it all kind of imploded on itself to a point where it was like I would miss class to sleep in my car. I would either, I'd always also go to like those extremes where it's like either I'd eat too much on one day or then I wouldn't be hungry the next day or I'd sleep too much. And then I was oh, wired. Oh like, yeah, oh my God. The the like the food, relationship with the food and the body image issues that I was also, that's a whole other yeah. layer on top of it. Um, yeah, definitely depression would like sap my appetite sometimes or just make me want to like eat eat a whole lot of food like it it was just very much like no stability or consistency on that front um yeah absolutely and I think for me like I when I it wasn't jokingly but like I very casually uh told my parents in college I was like yeah I was suicidal for a bit and I think that was something where like we should find a therapist and I was like Mm -hmm. oh I mean like yeah that makes perfect sense but I think it was the fact that I said it very casually at that point. I was like, yep, yeah, th- that's how I'm feeling. Like, this is how I would do it. And like, they were like, Ooh, okay. Um, and then I think it really hit me because uh, one thing about depression that people do not tell you is that your mem- your short-term memory just goes at a certain point for some people. So like, for example, a lot of my university experience is a kind of a blur. It's like trying to remember something from 15 years ago rather than something that was, ugh, now I'm like it. Oh God, it was six years ago. Oh no, I've been out of college for six years. But it's like trying to remember something from like my childhood instead of something that was relatively speaking only a few years ago. Like I would, I remember specifically, like I had my jazz dance class. We learned choreography. And then two days later we had the second class and I forgot everything. It was like I hadn't even been in class that day before. And I had been. And it wasn't even like, a, oh, let me just like get this into my body again. It was like, it was like my brain had completely like shut off for a couple of yeah. days. And then like, or I was like going through the motions and then I came back and didn't know what was going on. And it was like, this is um, terrifying because I have a big fear of like not having memory of things or losing time. And it was like, I should probably get some professional help for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, after Paris, I still was not was not seeking. I, I thought about I always like all these times I'm like thinking about it, I'm like, oh, should I search for a therapist? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then um, I guess, yeah, pretty much throughout college, I still just decide not to do it. I mean, especially because actually things got like 2019 and up until the COVID pandemic, like things were really good in my life and so I was like pretty Mm -hmm. stable and then of course pandemic happened and then do I'm I'm making a downer motion with my hands right now um (laughs) um you know it was just yeah I I got depressed pretty quickly because of course I was like god everything that gave me joy is gone oh my (laughs) gosh (laughs) yeah um it's so funny when it came to the pandemic I think I was very optimistic for the first couple of months I was like any day now any day now any day now and then like july was when like depression re-kicked me in the pants Mm -hmm. i was like oh this is not going away like 
the goalposts of when things will open keep getting moved, which like obviously most of my friends have already accepted that notion that this was not going away, but I, damn it, I had hope mm-hmm. that, that oh, yeah. I was so humanity stubborn, would right? see us through. Well, when I had to move off my college campus, because um, the, oh, the yeah. pandemic started when I was in my senior year, I got my last few months of college. I mean, I took classes online, of course, but I got those last few months that I could have been on campus just taken away from me. And, yeah. and like, um, wait, why was I going to... Sorry. Um, you were talking about, wait, sorry. What were you talking about? That might remind um, me what I was going like to say. Like in terms of like depression when it came to the pandemic and I said, I held oh, on right. to hope. And so, then like a yeah, few months so later. I, I was just stubbornly hoping because yeah, when I, when I went to move my stuff out of my dorm, um, I was like, I was telling all my friends that I was saying goodbye to you. Like I'll see you in four weeks because that was supposed to be <sighs> the time that we would be off campus. And damn it. And then, you know, my graduation got canceled, but thankfully I'm going to have my graduation, uh, my official graduation ceremony uh, this month at the end of oh, this yes. month. Oh, so. yes. I was about to ask about that too, because I know you're saying that there was a chance there would be one. So I'm glad that there's going to be one for you. Yes, there is. I have my, um, regalia is going to be optional, but I already bought it in 2020 because again, I was stubbornly hopeful. <laughs> Hell yeah. You wear that, you wear that cap and gown and stole and cords and all of it. You wear all of those things. <laughs> yeah. But, um, anyway, so yeah, when, during the pandemic, like things got really hard for me. And then thankfully I found out that, uh, in my service year program, I would have access to something called the employee assistance program through, um, Cigna, uh, insurance. Ooh, and okay. so I would have access to 10 free counseling sessions, um, per year. And because the service year went over two calendar years, that meant 20 free um, sessions with a therapist. Nice. Um, the place that I chose, unfortunately, was not great with how they were billing me because of oh. the, like, with the, they, they kept, like, trying to put in my regular insurance and not the employee assistance program. Um, so I wouldn't, re- I would not recommend Mindful Therapy Group in Seattle. Um, but <laughs> um the, the therapist I had was nice. She, um, she really helped with like the breathing exercises, which, you know, I still don't do enough of like oh, the thing about same. therapy is that like, you need to put in, you you can't just see that you need to like put in the effort outside yeah. of the sessions. And that's something that I'm maybe still not the best at, but, um, I mean, it still was just like good to sometimes just be able to talk to get things like off of my chest and to discuss like certain things with her, like in terms of like, some conflict resolution with like the the members of my service house and like some other things that I was thinking of just anything that was on my mind um and um yeah so that was good a good experience Mm -hmm. and then um once I got back uh to Virginia after my service year I pretty pretty early on I, I like asked uh my my doctor for a referral to a psychiatrist that who would take my insurance because I realized I realized near the end of my service year I like I had talked with through this with my therapist and she was like you know you you should consider seeing a psych- psychiatrist that you, that you could get medication because it seems like you probably do need it um and that still like scared me the idea of like taking medication um I don't know if it quite comes from like I mean, yeah, I guess part of it comes from the evangelical background. I like, think so, too. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's like I already have. I already had a lot of insecurity, actually, even when I was evangelical about taking my thyroid medication to, like, be normal. That's what I sort of, the way I phrased it, it was like, oh, I have to take all these pills to, like, be normal. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Yeah, so I think that was definitely, like, part of it. And also just maybe a fear of, like, some of the side effects. Um, Because I think you even mentioned once you were like, oh, like, because you were... I don't want to... You can, I guess, reveal talking about your experience with medication. Yeah, for sure. Um you talked about like a loss of appetite or nausea I guess. yeah basically like here's the thing with um for anyone listening who is planning on going on any sort of anti-anxiety antidepressant antipsychotic etc do not look up the side effects because the side effects are everything and it's dependent on the person <laughs> um because the thing is um the best way i can describe it is like if you were to break a bone like other underlying medical conditions notwithstanding, the way to heal that is to put a cast on it, maybe do some physical therapy and call it a day. Because again, unless you have some like bone disease or it was like a really awful shatter, like that's kind of going to be the go-to. Whereas with any sort of medication that affects your brain, there are 7 billion people in this world and have 7 billion different ways of brain function. And not everyone's is going to be the same. So psychiatry is kind of, it's, I don't want to say it's experiment. I mean, I guess it is kind of experimental, but it's on a patient by patient basis. Cause like, they don't know, they'll start you off with like this, like the smallest dose of stuff, but they don't know what's going to work because medication doesn't work typically until about six to eight weeks in. Mm-hmm. So you won't even know if it's working till then. Like other than that, you're probably gonna get a lot of side effects. So for example, one major side effect of taking something with serotonin is nausea Um, because serotonin is actually located in your stomach. Um, It is not located in your brain. And that's why like sometimes when you eat to feel better or you're not eating because you're feeling bad or you're eating because you're feeling bad, that's why you have that urge because you have serotonin in your stomach. Um, And that's like Mm -hmm. kind of the healing aspect. But when you take uh, serotonin-based medication, it'll cause nausea. Um, And then what it's kind of doing is it's counteracting whatever you were going through. So for example, if you had no appetite then you might be eating a lot and you'll gain weight. Or if you were sleeping all the time, you might now be wired. It's like kind of doing the exact opposite to counteract whatever the symptoms of your depression or anxiety were. So for me, I had a tiny bit of nausea. It wasn't too bad, but I was sleeping like 14 hours a day. Um, And so, and like that ended up kind of changing once I kind of adjusted the time I was taking my medication, but just like very slowly, they're like, try taking it later in the day, later in the day, that way you'll go to when you get knocked out, it'll be like when you're actually asleep. Um, and then that mm-hmm. started to work. Um, definitely some, there was a point, um, wait, how do I put this? So long story short, I started first taking uh, Lexapro in 2017, like fall, like late fall, 2017. And it started to work around January. And I was like, Oh, this is like, great. Like, this is like, I'm feeling pretty stable. And then like about, a year like over a year later I hadn't really had any bad episodes so my psychiatrist was like if you think you are ready to wean off you can and so they started to wean me off and I started to get very very irritable um, as it was weaning off but that was just a side effect of weaning off that medication and then I was fine uh and the pandemic happened and July 2020 mm-hmm. came around and I ended up being super duper depressed like borderline suicidal again and I had to go back on Lexapro but it was 
Here was the tough thing about that. One, not just trying to find a psychiatrist during a global pandemic, mm-hmm. but that was the summer, that was the July that I turned 26. Um, yeah. And for people that are international listeners, um, you are allowed to be on your parents' insurance until you are 26. Um, and then after that, you have to, you're basically on your own. Um, for some reason, we had thought that my insurance would last till the end of my 26th year. So we thought we had like maybe six more months. Turned out that was not the case. Um, so it was also having to figure out what the hell I was going to do about my insurance, but also now having to find a psychiatrist that would fit into this hypothetical insurance, which ended up getting figured out. It was an absolute nightmare, but it did end up getting figured out. And I ended up going back on Lexapro because that was what had worked before. But then like- Um Sorry, I just want to cut in and be like, this is why, like, mental health is, I mean, access to mental health is a social justice issue, especially in this country, because it's like, with the whole, with the way that insurance works and everything, it's just very hard for people to have access to the care that they need, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And there is, it's a really unfortunate name, but at least in California, and maybe it's in other states too, and again, very unfortunate name if you are a queer Christian, but it's called Exodus. And um, <laughs> what they will do is if you need emergency access to your antidepressants, they will they will fill you up for 30 days, If you're especially if you're having issues with your insurance or anything like that. You just go to one of their clinics, you tell them this is what I'm on. And they'll ver- I imagine they verify it somehow. I fortunately, I almost had to do that, but then I didn't end up needing to, long story. Um, but if you're in California and maybe it's in other states too, there's something similar. It's called Exodus. If you're ever running low on meds and can't get a hold of anyone, they will give you an emergen- a 30-day emergency supply um, because no one deserves to be like taken off their medication like that, especially if it is truly like life-saving for you. So long story short, now I'm on Lexapro. Um, I'm on 20 milligrams, which is the max dosage that you can have. And that's been working out pretty well. And then I'm also on Wellbutrin, which helps more of the depression. And I'm on, I think it's 300 milligrams of that now. I think so. Because I know at one point my depression got really, really, really bad around December. Um, and I, I told my psychiatrist that I was like feeling pretty suicidal. Um, And he was like, okay, so we have some options. We can either up the Wellbutrin, wean you off of something and get you on something else, or we can add a third medication to the mix. And I was like, I just want to do whatever's going to be the least invasive. So we upped the Wellbutrin and that was fine. Um, But then again, like everyone's brain works differently. That might not have worked. Like I might've had to go on a third medication or get weaned off of one and onto another. And again, you're having to wait six to eight weeks for Mm -hmm. it to, to, for you to even see if it's gonna work for you um so it's just it's a lot it's like a it's really really frustrating it's really time consuming and it sucks if the thing is if if like I was very fortunate that the medication I took the first time around worked like I realized I was very 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 lucky in that um because that is not the case for most people because again everyone's brain is going to be a little bit different and I go into detail here because I never ever want people to feel ashamed of having to be on antidepressants or antipsychotics or anything like that. Like it's a very, very, it should be treated as a normal part of life in a way that we keep ourselves healthy, just like diet and exercise. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I was still even, I guess in like 2021 dealing with some of that like stigma and shame and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but like ultimately I just, 
basically like since the start of the pandemic I've just had these times where like I just completely lose motivation and I just like feel really down and and shitty and like there's just it definitely felt like there was no sense of like stasis and also like my during my service year I still had a lot of problems with like anxiety and um yeah and so I'm just like in in this time in my life as I've been um like preparing for my life in Seattle which will start in July oh my gosh um I I you know I have a lot of stuff to do I have still scholarship applications and housing search and like just a bunch of things to do um and so I've been thinking I'm like oh I cannot like stop losing motivation like this I need to like have a sense of stasis in my life oh my gosh and I also need to like make sure that like when I move to Seattle I want you know, body, mind, and soul to be good. I'm also in physical therapy right now because oh, okay. um, my shoulder, my shoulders are like screwed up from like sitting down too much, honestly. And also maybe a few other things like sleeping on it wrong. Um, but so I've been strengthening my back up so that it can be that hurt less and my shoulders can hurt less. Um, and that's no different than me uh, finally calling the psychiatrist. I was, I got a referral for mm-hmm. schedule an appointment and I started taking Zoloft. Got it. Good for you. Yeah. Glad you're getting that. And I didn't know about the shoulder pain, so I'm glad you're in physical therapy for that too. Yeah. One thing I also want to make very clear is I know that a lot of times the rhetoric for depression that people say is like, you should eat better. You should exercise. You should go out in nature. But but medication on top of that could yeah. be needed too. And because the, the thing is, is like depression does not motivate you to do any of that. Like you could want to do that all day long, but you have no motivation to do any of that. Um, and then just slight content warning real quick. I know we did one at the beginning, but that's why one of the side effects of antidepressants is suicidal ideation, because all of a sudden mm-hmm. you have the motivation to do things again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why that's a massive side effect. So if, Oh, by the way, if you are on antidepressants and you do have suicidal ideations, stop taking the meds immediately. That's what I was told when I first started. Um, because not nothing is worth having that. Um, but that's why that happens is because you'd think like, oh, we wouldn't be having that. It's like, no, it's like getting you motivated again. And then you might be motivated to act on that. So yeah, like, please like keep watch over how you're feeling and how your mind is doing and your own mental health, which is why I truly believe that with this, with medication should, there should also be therapy involved too. Um, I feel very fortunate that I've had the same therapist for almost six years. Um, like we're like, I don't, I don't want to be like we're buds now, but like we've known each other for six years. Like it's been a hot minute. Um, a good rapport. Yeah, we have a very good rapport. Um, but I know for a fact, like it's because of the medication, I was able to start doing the work that was given to me in therapy. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, okay, now I feel like I can actually kind of see the forest from the trees and I can actually like do the work. I can actually like, learn how to deal with my emotions properly. I can like learn to set boundaries, all the things, many things I've talked about in therapy over the last several years that I'd like to think I've gotten better at. But I just think that's also very, very important to be able to seek out some sort of therapist and therapist, not a life coach, maybe a life coach will help, but like someone who is properly credentialed to listen to you. Or at is least this also, it, yeah. wait, sorry, is this like a, a subtweet about like the deconstruction school thing that recently happened on Instagram? What was that? What did you not see it? I don't think okay. so. Um, okay, I wanted to like I wanted to talk about this because let me just pull up the post. Um, okay. 
Um, so I feel like I maybe heard like whispers about it, but I truly don't know what it's about. Yeah. So someone in the um, quote unquote deconstruction com- community, which, you know, obviously is like actually multiple communities. We're not trying to make it a monolith. Um, yeah. Uh, let me I have to find it. Uh, so Dr. Katie Blake, um, who is a psych, uh, uh, who is a licensed psychologist, looks like, and okay. um, she, you know, recently made this post. Um, you, if you just search at Dr. Katie Blake, you'll see it. Um, introducing deconstruction school. If you're a professional who supports others experiencing shifting beliefs, read pastor therapist coach to name a few. I believe this can transform the way you provide support to your community. Deconstruction School is the only all-in-one program for professionals that includes an online certificate, online certification training, private community, and high-touch coaching. And like when people were asking about the accreditation of the certification, she was like, I'm applying for the accreditation right now. And it just like it just screams like MLM to me. And like just not I I don't like, want to generalize. She's white, isn't she? Yes. Okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um Josh Harris tried to like do the same thing a little bit ago and they were like, You you should obviously everyone was you like, You no, wrote the book on purity culture, <laughs> Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like definitely like you don't you don't need someone who you don't even need someone who's like specialist in deconstruction to like help you with these issues. Like you you need someone who's just like a therapist who specializes in in trauma because you know all all um all trauma can well you know all trauma is different but the the modalities that like these kinds of therapists learn can be can you be used to deal with like Mm -hmm. pretty much any kind of trauma yeah and Um, as someone who is about to start school to be a therapist um I do want to work with people that have religious trauma as well as like queer kids and queer teenagers because that Venn diagram is sadly a very perfect circle um it's like I don't it's like yeah it's religious trauma is that trauma and the fact that I have the knowledge of deconstruction and of the bible is a happy coincidence but I'm being trained to help people deal and cope with their trauma, not specifically their religious trauma. Like there are ways to learn about religious trauma and deconstruction without needing a certificate. There are books. Also without needing to cash out $2,500. That's how much it is? Yeah. And apparently that's a discounted rate right now. Oh my God. (laughs) So that's like, that's like, you might as well be just going to grad school. (laughs) Like instead of like shelling out. Ridiculous. Yeah. So we're not, we're not for that. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, wait, I have, I had something else I was going to say. Um, oh, um, interesting thing about that, I guess, in terms of like talking about mental health. So uh, someone on, I believe, the Reclamation Collective page, which is like a group of people who are you know, helping each other out with religious trauma in a way that's not, that's not that deconstruction school. It's more of like a social support kind of thing, you know? Nice. And um, they were like, they just left a video that's like, you know, we need to remember that when we're deconstructing that we're not repeating like the evangelical patterns of behavior that we, 
learned, you know, because it can be easy to like fall back into that, like to have yeah. those kind of patterns, but just like following following what you currently believe, but still kind of falling back into those patterns of behavior, which which can of course have impacts on our mental health and everything. And yeah, like this whole deconstruction school is like just a exact version of that. It's like evangelical MLM with like the words deconstruction slapped onto it. Oh my god. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like yeah. there's so many better resources out there than someone who's like, I want to do this thing. Like there's even like, what is it? The deconstruction network, um, which is run by Phil Drysdale. Um, that is literally a network of people deconstructing that just talk to each other. It's like a support group. Mm -hmm. That's free. As far as I know, um, I am most likely leading a deconstruction group through QCF in a few weeks. So, and it's going to be a brand new curriculum. Like, um, August sent me the, the guide and was like, if you have any edits on this, like, please let me know. So I think it's going to be a relatively new group, but at the same time, like that's free to join. Yes, like QCF kind of caters towards the LGBTQ community and their allies, but that's that's free. Like, yeah, you don't get a certificate out of it afterwards, but it's free. Like, you can join. And if you want to donate money, like, by all means, do it. They're a great organization. Um, yeah, so I'm only, I'm only like, I guess, less than a month at this point into taking Zoloft. So I guess, like you said, I'm not going to necessarily feel the effects yet, but I do feel like already there is like a sense of balance that's coming back which has yeah nice um yeah absolutely because it's also that feeling too of like oh my gosh I'm finally getting help for this mm -hmm. like side effects suck but also it's that thing of like I also haven't haven't gotten that either haven't gotten side effects for you that's awesome (laughs) oh that's so lucky that's fantastic do not google the side effects because all of a sudden you'll start to feel all of them. <laughs> It'll do like that psychosomatic thing of like, wait a minute, why am I so hungry all of a sudden? Um, uh, trying to think of what else to say. It's getting late on this part of the country. Um, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I guess another thing is that like... Um, someone said um in response to like the katie blake thing they were like one of the things about deconstruction is that like we don't need a like guru you know we we could need of course like therapists and professional help to like help us with our with our traumas and mental health uh, as as a result of like you know religious things but um in terms yeah in terms of this like this whole she has the answers thing like no, stay away. Yeah. And I mean, and if the therapist says that they have all the answers, also stay away because... Yeah, no one has all the answers. And again, because <laughs> therapy is an individualized experience, it's not going to be the same for every single person. Mm-hmm. Like my therapist is a faith-based therapist, which let me tell you, I was very skeptical about when I first started mm-hmm. going, but she's very cool. Um, I don't know how strict a lot of her religious views are. One thing, like, I, like when I first started going, like you felt like a questionnaire of like, wh- why are you seeking therapy? But also questions of like, have you drank? Have you smoked? Like how often? Blah, blah, blah. Like it's like all these questions. And one of them was like, would you be open to like faith-based counseling? And I was like, not at the time I was like, not really. Like if it comes up naturally, it comes up naturally. But as I've kind of gone down the deconstructed rabbit hole more, it comes up quite a bit more. And just honestly, even being able to talk about it with someone from a faith-based background who's not giving her opinion on any of it to be totally fair like that just helped just to talk about it and that's not even someone who quote-unquote has a deconstruction degree like it's just someone who happens to have 
been raised or believe a similar faith that I do who can maybe relate to some of the things I've been feeling. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I have anything to like to say in conclusion on this episode. I mean, more mostly just like if you if you're feeling any kind of shame related to getting help in any way about the issues that you've gone through, like I would just encourage you to like look look up the resources in your community. Yeah. Um and we can even post like national resources as well, like in the show notes and in our bio and everything too, because everyone I truly believe everyone deserves a neutral ear. Everyone deserves an advocate. Everyone deserves Mm -hmm. to live a life that is healthy, mentally healthy, as best they can, of course. Um, So we will definitely provide resources on that. Yes, because Jesus has brought us, well, I mean, sorry, I'm going to cut that out. I'm going to redo what I'm about to say. Um, Okay. So... You know, a lot of people say, like, you just need Jesus, but it's like, but also, like, isn't it, like, God's grace that we have modern medicine and we have modern yeah. psychology? Like, absolutely. That we, um, we also didn't even really talk about, you know, obviously, I think, like, the antibody messages in, like, evangelical churches, of course, relate to, like, you know, obviously, practices of embodiment have helped my mental health and emotional stability and being able to, like, connect to my body and everything. Um, yeah. And I also need to, like, I need to like find some <laughs> not white problematic people who talk about embodiment because as I kind of said in another episode, like main people that I always referenced were like Jamie Lee Finch and friend of Marie Davies. Um, and so I really want to like search uh. for other people who are talking about that. So if you have recommendations for that, please let me know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, this is stuff that definitely, I feel like the conversation it's over but it's never over like we I feel like mental health needs to be talked about more in church because you wouldn't uh, I take this back some churches would do this but most churches would not tell a cancer patient to pray their cancer away they wouldn't tell someone the Christian scientists would (laughs) I know I know that's why I had to take I had to step back for a second be like not there's a group called Christian scientists who really do like if if a child breaks their arm, the parent's not going to take them to the doctor. Yeah, like, that is. <laughs> yeah, and I guess yeah, like for the most part, you wouldn't tell that to someone who has a physical injury or has terminal disease. But when it comes to mental health, it's all fair game. Like it's not real; it's all in your head. And it's like, yeah, it is in your head, but it's also a, a part of your body. Part of your body. <laughs> it's a disorder that you need to get treatment for and whether that is through therapy, whether it's through medication, anything at all, like that should be supported and celebrated in church spaces so much more. Yes, because you're seeking goodness and wholeness for yourself and that's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then last but not least, there was one person I wanted to bring up. Um, there right. was a pastor called Jared Wilson. Um, he was a mega church pastor or he had just, he was working at the mega church, I think with Greg Laurie, who's like a big pastor guy. Um, and this particular pastor, Jared Wilson, um, he unfortunately did die by suicide. Um, but he was very, very vocal about his mental health struggles and about depression and about how like, no prayer does not, um, save you from suicidal thought. Um, and he was just very, very vocal about it. And it's one of the very few like evangelical cisgender white men that I've seen to be super transparent about that. Um, 
one thing that him and his wife, Julie, who now raises their two sons, founded was an organization called Anthem of Hope, which is a faith-based organization to minister and support those who battle addiction, depression, and self-harm. Um, so at the very least, it that could potentially be very helpful for people. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, there, um, I believe that Pastor Wilson, like the last thing he did was he led a service for someone else who had died by suicide and he tweeted oh he wrote uh he tweeted loving jesus doesn't always cure suicidal thoughts loving jesus doesn't always cure depression loving jesus doesn't always cure ptsd loving jesus doesn't always cure anxiety but that doesn't mean jesus doesn't offer us companionship and comfort he always Mm -hmm. does that and i thought that was really beautiful um that was one of the last things he tweeted out i think think in terms of like i guess i kind of mentioned like the theology of suffering of like god causing these tests and trials in our lives for like a reason and now I I don't believe that I believe like I mean I believe that God is with us that's something I can say I'm like God is with us in the midst of what we are going through to offer to offer comfort yeah and I think a lot of times in evangelical circles it'd be so easy to write that off and say like well he just didn't believe enough or like he should have prayed more or like god forbid you hear the things of like well like people that commit suicide go to hell or they like were weak or cowardly which is complete bullshit um so I do actually want to share what his wife had said um after she had announced it which was no more struggle you are made complete and you are finally free suicide and depression fed you the worst lies but you knew the truth of Jesus and I know you're right by his side this very second Mm -hmm. and then said suicide doesn't get the last word which again like the fact that there is this evangelical pastor and his family that he has survived by whom he has survived that is advocating for that mental health care like that and saying like, no, suicide isn't a spiritual affliction or depression isn't a spiritual affliction is so incredible. And my hope is with that transparency um, that becomes normalized in more, in bigger evangelical spaces. Like that's really my hope. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate um, that, that um, Jared Wilson, died by suicide um my condolences and love to his family if they listen to this podcast um but thank I just want to say thank thank you for that transparency and hopefully that spurns on other churches to do that as well yeah definitely I mean yeah just the more the conversation opens up the better because then more people will be able to realize that they're not alone and that they can yeah have the support that they need yeah and that who they are and what they're suffering from isn't sinful it's just something that they are suffering with and there are ways where it can be helped and there are medical ways that it can be helped too I don't quite know how to segue into like the end of this I know this was such a Going from talking about like all those things to like, hi, the week just feels a bit weird, but (laughs) yeah, I think it would be helpful though, just because like, you know, this was a darker episode. Um, I think it always, as, um, the pastors of new Abbey have said is that there is always ways to hold space for the pain and suffering, but also to hold space for the things that bring us joy in our lives and that they can exist concurrently. So yeah. Um, do you have a high of the week? I guess with that said, do you have a high of the week? Um, you can go first. <laughs> okay. Um, my high of the week was this past weekend. Uh, long story short, I help run a drama program at a local high school. I feel like I've mentioned this before. 
we're doing a production of the show She Kills Monsters. It is very queer. It is from the 90s or takes place in the 90s. And it's about Dungeons and Dragons. It's like everything you'd ever want in a play ever. And the show went up this weekend and my high schoolers performed and they did so damn well. And I don't know. A couple of my students know I have a podcast. Um, if you're listening, no, you're not. <laughs> don't tell me that you are. Um, but if you are listening, uh, I just want to say, like I've said it before so many times, I am so damn proud of all of them. I'm so damn proud of them because it was a show with a lot of emotion, a show with a lot of moving parts. They had to learn how to fight it was each a other. Show that was queer. It was a show that was queer. And it was also a show where they had to learn how to fight each other with swords, which Whoa. they did. It, it was like such a nice feeling to hear like the audience going, whoa, whoa, shoot, whoa, that's amazing. Like when they were like sword fighting, like kicking each other and stuff, like safely, of course, because it was all choreographed. But it was just like, damn, like these kids are incredible. And I'm so proud of them. And for my first and possibly only foray into directing, uh, I'm grateful that it was with those students and with that show and with that story. So yeah, that is definitely a massive high of my week. It took up a lot of my time. Uh, I didn't sleep much last week, but um, the end product was so incredible and I couldn't be more proud. So yeah, that's my high of the week. Um, yeah, that's super cool. I'm glad that you got to do that. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I'm thinking, I don't know if I quite have a high of the week yet. I feel like I'm going to maybe have some big ones to share at our next one. Mm-hmm. I, I applied for tenancy somewhere in Seattle. So I guess that's my high that I'm like, and I'm hopeful about it. Like, I'm hopeful that this will be, and it's like our, our, an ideal location uh, at the price point that I want. Um, I'm going to be rooming with one other person, a fellow Seattle school student. Um, and yeah, I guess I'm just excited that like, Hopefully soon, within this month, my life in Seattle will start to take more a more uh, solid shape. So yes, that's incredible. I'm so excited for you to move as well and to like get your life back up in the Pacific Northwest figured out. We'll be on the same time zone again, so that'll be like yes. super nice and convenient. Easier. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I guess um, I'll have to go visit you in Seattle as well. Just gotta do like a little Pacific Northwest oh my tour. I would love oh my to. And um, next, our next episode, you can you can say it because it's going to be yeah. So our next episode is with one of my very good friends. Her name is Carrie Seymour. Uh, she's a badass. Um, if you're listening to this, hello, Carrie. Uh, you're going to be on this show in a couple weeks, um, and we're going to be talking to her about her experiences growing up um, very closeted and her experiences within the Catholic Church. I don't think we've ever actually. Have we ever had a Catholic no, guest? No, the first Catholic, yeah. She's gonna be our, yo, she's going to be our first Catholic guest, so uh, we're going to be hearing her story. And Oh, wait, actually, technically, Ellie, Ellie like, oh, first yeah. started out, started out yeah. Catholic, then, but, like, still, I guess this is, but this person, I guess, maybe a little bit more Catholic, because they, they were involved in a cut, or she yeah, was like, Something like that. Yeah. So uh, I can't wait for that um, to tell that story. Um, I can't wait for her to tell her story. Um, So definitely tune into that episode when you can. Um, And yeah, thank you all uh, so much for listening today. And I guess from here, we'll go into the plug. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Reclaiming the Garden. You can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Reclaiming the Garden or on Twitter at RT Garden Podcast. Be sure to check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, and you can always check out our merch store to get t-shirts, mugs, and other fun merchandise. If you are able to, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it does boost us in the algorithm, but we are grateful that you are here and listening, so if that's all you can do, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you soon.